Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host. Welcome. This episode is called Impossible, which lots of things feel like they are. But here we are, pushing through. So, one of the things that has felt impossible a little bit was... uh, my dream of performing on stage, speaking my truth, uh, digging deep into the depths of my being and spilling my guts on a stage uh, in the recovery field for a whole bunch of people who were listening to me and wanted to be there. And last night I did that. And it felt amazing. I felt like I was literally living my dream, standing on that stage. It was a Sober Saturdays event. It's called Love Fest. It's all about the direct correlation between negative self-talk slash negative self-image and addiction, which, yeah, I think we can all relate to that. And if you didn't hate yourself when you started drinking, you sure, at least I did, I hated myself by the end of it, you know? I hated what I had become. I hated what I was doing. I, I hated all of it. So I was really honored to be a part of that. Uh, What I did essentially was a live podcast episode. I did one of these, but live on a stage, microphone. And I loved it. It was so much fun. I want to do more of that. It's kind of my dream, you know? So, yeah, I only have one announcement for you. I remember when I had so many announcements that I had to kind of pick and choose between them, which is funny because in the very beginning... I was just opening the page, reading the poem, going into it, and then ending. And I couldn't wait until I had announcements. I was like, oh, that would make me a legit podcaster once I have announcements to tell you. And then I had too many to even choose from. So awesome. So grateful. That's amazing. So I just have one right now, which is perfect. And it's the best one of all. It's Pick Your Poison Volume 2. Release date, April 20th. Soon I'll have a cover launch for you. Soon you'll be able to pre-order it. And soon I will have details on where the launch party will be. But it will be on April 20th, Saturday. That's my second year sober anniversary. So I'm pretty set on doing it that day, you know? (laughs) So awesome. What a way to celebrate. All right. Let's jump in. Impossible. Let me find it here. My trusty book. All right. Impossible. I've stopped speaking, for my jaw aches from too much clenching. I've stopped writing, for my fingers are embedded in my palms. How do I take five years of pain and fear that was shoved into the dark, spider-infested basement of my mind and feel it right here on my couch on a Wednesday evening? right here on my couch on a Wednesday evening. Yeah. So that's obviously when I wrote this right on my couch on a Wednesday evening in sobriety. And what we did for so long, right, was we we shoved trauma into our bodies and we never never ever let it escape. We put all of those spiders and we close them down inside a hatch and we lock the door. And every time we took a drink, that lock got bolted up even tighter. 
It got more complex to unlock. But then we started dealing with our problems, right? We stopped drinking. And now, suddenly, as we sit on a couch on a Wednesday evening, unsuspectedly, boom, the trapdoor springs open and spiders start crawling out. And suddenly, we are faced with trauma. And how do we feel it? How do we deal with it? We used to never feel anything. It's terrifying. It's really scary. We weren't prepared for this. We didn't, you know, count down from ten, take a deep breath, and then open the hatch slowly and let one spider come out, you know? It just happens. Previously, we drank. Every time something would happen and we would remember a horrible thing that we did or that happened to us, something that made us anxious, we shoved it down with more alcohol and we buried it and we escaped from it and we ran far, far away from it. And in this moment of sudden spider infestation, the only thing we can do is feel it. Because we don't drink anymore. We don't shove things in the basement of our mind. We cope with stuff now. But how? When I wrote this poem, I didn't know how. I would sit there jaw clenched. I couldn't talk about what was going on inside of my head. If anybody were to see what kind of spiders lived in there, they would think I was crazy. They would think that I was a horrible person. They would think all of these horrible things about me. And then, am I? Do I think that way about myself? And that clenching down of the jaw and the non-speaking just feels so much like when I was drinking. We're free, but suddenly not free. Trapped in this terror cage of insane emotions just flooding in on your couch. I've stopped writing because my nails are embedded in my palms. I'm clenching my hands so tightly that I can't reach for the one thing that really helps me release these emotions. I can't speak words and I can't write words and I am just so burdened by this intensity. How do we feel it? How do we not let it consume us? How do we not reach for the bottle? How do we not want to escape this right this second? We have to feel it. That's the only way it's going to move through us. What I've been doing this week, my, my day job, I work in ambulance dispatch. So I've seen and um, heard some pretty terrifying things some traumatizing things. And I used to be a paramedic. Uh, so I've, I've witnessed and been in the presence of, of some horrible things too that have, that have really scarred me. So 
one of these things I've talked about before. It was one of the big things that kind of, it was one of the, the big spiders or nest of spiders that was inside my head that I, I couldn't talk about. I shut down. I clenched my jaw. I clenched my fists and I just, I didn't let anybody see it. And every time it cropped up, I drank. This is the instance that I've talked about before where I went to a call with my partner and we froze and the man was in cardiac arrest and we did everything wrong and he died and I felt like I'd killed that person. You know, I had felt like if I had only done, if only, if only, if only he would have survived and I couldn't talk about it. I was so ashamed. I felt like the worst paramedic in the world. I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. I was, uh, I was in the wrong place. This is not right. This is, I couldn't go to my superior. I couldn't talk to my partner about it. I just, I just shut down and I really started drinking in response to it. So this week I'd been recently hired at work to be part of the critical incident stress management peer support team. It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, we call it SISM. And essentially what we do is whenever there is a traumatic event for frontline staff, us as peer support members, we diffuse the situation. So we'll meet together shortly after the incident and we will validate all of the emotions that the person is having. And we will be able to direct them then uh, to any further care that they might want or need. It's not psychotherapy. It's not therapy at all. It's just um, a way to address that you have just gone through something traumatic. Everything you're feeling is normal. Here's how to take care of yourself in the coming hours and days. And we'll check in on you in the next while. But if you feel like you're not dealing with it, here are your resources. It's awesome. But these last days in training have been really intense. We've been, I was there with not just people from my workplace, but police officers, paramedics, detectives, uh, inner city workers, the whole gambit. And, uh, oh, corrections officers too. They were really cool to talk to. We have so many stories and so many experiences and a lot of traumatic events. So what we did was practice scenarios, right? And everybody was an extremely good actor. I was very impressed. But what ended up happening is that we all pulled from real events. And it was extremely cathartic, but also draining. So that event, um, it was interesting because I was working with a paramedic in my group. And she said, you know, this is, this is simple enough to validate people's feelings when, you know, everything was outside of their control. But how do I address somebody who, who screwed up? What if they gave the wrong medication dose? Or, you know, they did something that had a negative patient outcome. How do I, how do I handle that? And I was like, you know what? Do you want to run a scenario? Because I've got a scenario. And it it took a lot of courage for me to do this, but we went through the whole thing where I thought I killed that guy. I did not do my job correctly, and I, I thought I killed him. 
And then I got the schism diffusing that I should have got when it actually happened. And even though the trauma for me occurred so many years ago, I got it now. And the weight that has lifted off of my shoulders, I can't even describe to you. If I had that response then, if I had been able to talk to her and the things that she said to me and the validation that I felt from this experience back then, it would have saved my paramedic career. I think that I probably would have still been able to work there. And maybe I would have gotten into addiction so deeply still because there's so many other factors for me but it would have been one less spider to drink about. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, one, two things here. So one, it is so vital to address trauma right away. If you experience something and you think that you're not okay, that's okay. That's normal. It's just a normal response to an abnormal thing that's happened to you. And it's important to talk to somebody, especially a peer. Like for us, this is peers on frontline staff, EMS, first responders, that kind of thing. But in recovery, that's why the recovery community is so important. We're on the same level and we have a very specific experience, just like frontline staff would. People in recovery have a very specific experience when it comes to the world. And it is different than the experiences that people who don't suffer from addiction have. You know? And, like, that's why they have AA and then they have Al-Anon. Both people are suffering from addiction in their lives in one way, but one person is actually going through it and one person is affected because of a family or friend member, right? So... It's really important to have people in your life who are going through the same things that you are so you can talk about them and you can just defuse this emotion right away. So there's this thing called a trauma membrane and it forms about 8 to 12 hours after the event has occurred. And once that forms, it is difficult to reach that trauma. It's stuck inside of you now. So if you can get to it before that happens, the healing process is way quicker, way better, way easier. And isn't that awesome? Like, why wouldn't we want to do that? This has really opened up my eyes here. So the second thing I want to say is that it's never too late. Even though you had a trauma that happened to you years ago, like I did, it can still be healed. It can still be accessed. And it may hurt, and it may be so difficult to feel it. But when you feel it, it can start moving. When you start acknowledging it and breathing into it, we can start moving it out. And I'm not a trauma counselor or a trauma therapist by any means. Just letting you know my experience with it. This was a very powerful process for me. And I just wanted to... Just wanted to share that with you. 
It may seem impossible, but it is possible. And it was crazy. We went through so many different scenarios. I had so many examples and everybody else had so many examples. And at the end of it, we had to do one more exercise. And we all half jokingly said we should debrief from the training because it had been so emotionally intense. We had moved through so much individual separate traumas all together. Even the examples that were fake, like we had made them up. We had this one where um, we pretended we were co-workers and we worked for like Environment Canada or something. We were going to a hockey game and we experienced something traumatic on our way there at the LRT. And uh, sorry, if you're not from Edmonton, the LRT is just kind of like our subway system. And since we were doing it all together, it was interesting because it felt real. And everybody was such good actors. Like I said, it was crazy. So it's weird how how it processed and like integrated into my memory that way, along with all of the other real stuff. Now that I'm driving past the LRT in real life, I'm sort of looking at it differently, as if I did have an experience there, even though it was fake. I don't know. The mind is an interesting thing. Now that we're sober, that trapdoor is going to spring open. Spiders will come out. Acknowledge them. Don't drown them. You don't have to love them. <laughs> but you do have to acknowledge that they're real. And unless unless you let them crawl around a little bit and let them stretch their legs, they're going to stay stuck inside forever. Just be careful. Be gentle. And uh, obviously, if you think it's too much to handle, please seek some help. All right. Impossible. I've stopped speaking for my jaw aches from too much clenching. I've stopped writing for my fingers are embedded in my palms. How do I take five years of pain and fear that was shoved into the dark spider-infested basement of my mind and feel it right here on my couch on a Wednesday evening? I hope you all have a really great week. Bye.